you've come to the right place if you're looking to create, launch, and scale a high-value online training program. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of Lifter LMS, the most powerful learning management system for WordPress. Stay to the end. I've got something special for you. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. My name's Chris Badgett. I'm joined by a special guest. His name is Craig Zingerlein. He's from growthuniversity.io. Craig, I'm really excited to get into it with you today. We've got a lot in common. We're into software. We're into education. Uh, we're into community. So there's there's just a lot of good stuff going on here. But first, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much, Chris. I've been a big fan of the pod as well as the platform. Uh, had failed at many other platforms before we found Lifter. So thanks for um, thanks for building it, first of all. And uh, thanks for what you're doing to support the community. It's good stuff. Awesome. Appreciate it. Um, let's start. We'll go into the backstory, but just real quick, uh, in a nutshell, what is Growth University? Yeah, so Growth University is a place where startups and founders go to learn a lot of the holistic elements around growing their startups. And so we take a very stage uh, and industry agnostic approach uh, and really have put together a series of training programs that help startups kind of uh, across the board learn customer acquisition, activation, learn about how to measure and track retention, how to do product-led growth, how to run experiments. And um, that's really kind of been my my life's passion. And we, uh, I built a team and we started with one program and now we've got eight and we'll probably have 15 by the end of this year. And we're just scaling that out. So yeah, happy to go in the backstory or whatever, but that's in a nutshell, it's a uh, it's an online platform, a learning platform that uh, has a bunch of content for founders where they can level up their skills to help them grow their startups. Wow, that's awesome. I know, I mean, I spend a lot of time in learning myself and as an entrepreneur and specifically as a software entrepreneur, uh, I've gone out into the world and try piece together training and learning. And yeah. I mean, I know there's entrepreneurship tracks and traditional higher ed and stuff like that. And but there, there's just such an opportunity for the niches. Um, yeah. I'm a big fan of, uh, there's a program in called SAS Academy with Dan Martell. I learned oh, a cool. ton inside of that and uh, just connecting with other founders. And, um, you know, Jason Calacanis' podcast uh, stars yeah. for the rest of us, but hit the all in podcast yeah. that he does. I, I listened to that yeah. As, yeah. as well. But um, take us on the journey of, of you know, what, you, Jason Calacanis, and and how this, how the origin story of Growth University here. Yeah, so the origin of Growth University really came uh, from a few different angles. Uh, primarily, I was an operator in a couple startups, um, a couple that had been bootstrapped and a couple that had raised venture money. And so I kind of had a sense of trying to build, grow, and scale startups from a couple different angles uh, and in different industries. And I had personally seen some of the same challenges when trying to grow and hit your monthly metrics and, you know, and try to build a bigger company and drive more revenue and get more customers. So I had, I had struggled with some of the same concepts at pretty much every company that I had been at. Um, and, and in a lot of cases, you kind of feel like you're reinventing the wheel when you, when you go to market. And then the other thing is that um, for really from, you know, the last 10 years or so, I had done a ton of advisory work, a tiny bit of investing, um, and had 
hundreds of conversations with founders around their pain points uh, with growth. And I'd gone through a couple, I'd gone through the launch accelerator with two different companies, uh, saw, got exposure to just dozens and dozens and dozens of companies had prior to that uh, worked at an agency. And so was building websites and products for people. And what occurred to me was that kind of as my journey went from highly technical, I started as a software engineer, then I ended up in product management, then all the way over to marketing. What I realized was that the growth component of the startup really became the most important thing. If you can't get in front of customers, if you can't drive revenue, then effectively you're not growing. And if you're not growing, then you're likely going to run into trouble. And so um, I had met Jason Calacanis in 2014 when I took a head of growth and product role at a company called Red Tricycle. And I pretty quickly got involved in the launch ecosystem, speaking at a lot of the events. We took Red Tricycle through the first cohort, actually, of the launch accelerator. When I left that, I started another tech company called Votion. I took that through the third cohort of the accelerator. And then kind of um, that company didn't really scale, but kind of towards the trailing end of that, uh, I had collaborated with Jason and his team on a program called Founder University, and that was kind of my second or third iteration into the curriculum building side. And I realized that I loved building curriculums. I loved kind of putting content out there, more long form content. And I had a bunch of ideas around trying to uh, kind of wrap my arms around all of these fairly esoteric concepts of of growing your startup. You know, there's tons of advice online, what to do, what not to do. Should I raise money? Should I not raise money? What channels should I be in? How hard should I drive emails? What is activation? And long story short, um, I had started to just document those common pain points that I was seeing. At the same time, I had gotten involved with a platform called Growth Mentor. So growthmentor.com, I've done, I think, 180 conversations with founders on that platform and just getting asked questions every day about, I have this challenge. How should I think about solving this challenge? And through those conversations with them, as well as my own experiences, I had started to build this curriculum. So version one of that was basically a failed attempt. So my first iteration of what became Growth University came out about two years ago. And I had put some content up on an LMS and I had advertised it a little bit and it was crickets. Like nobody, I just, I didn't have the right uh, methodology for kind of going to market, which again, I brought back to uh, you know my own learnings. I was like, okay, well, how do I apply some of the stuff that I'm thinking about and talking about for my own uh, application of trying to get this curriculum out there? And along the way there, I had kind of kept the dialogue up with Jason and he he's putting a ton of companies through his accelerator every year. And so we had a couple conversations and it became clear that there was a need for growth-based training uh, and so I had built kind of a beta version of, of what was my original program, but I put a lot more energy and effort into it. And we ran a private beta with the launch accelerator companies in the summer of 2020. So just over a year ago, and the feedback was phenomenal. And out of that, uh, we decided, what if we kind of productize this? What if we put this out in the world and try to monetize it and just see what happens? And the first cohort just went gangbusters. It was a huge success. Feedback was great. And it was enough of a catalyst for uh, for me to really jump in and do this. Uh, we raised a little bit of capital. We hustled our way to um, kind of figuring out what our business model even was. We had started as selling transactional. We moved to subscription. And now we're off to the races. That's awesome. And for anybody listening that's not in the startup scene, what how would you define the, the purpose of an accelerator? Yeah, I think there's um I just gave a talk actually uh two weeks ago at at a um at conveners.org. 
had a program called Accelerate the Accelerators, and it was all about ecosystem building for startup accelerators. I think a lot about accelerators in terms of their core operating thesis. So what type of accelerator are you? And and if you're a startup and you're thinking about an accelerator, the point of the accelerator really depends on the accelerator. So for example, there's there's accelerators that might help you with funding and fundraising. Those are very kind of capital specific accelerators. There That's might be some help you. Like Combinator type? Like Y Combinator launches very kind of capital specific. Um, it's a lot of pitching, pitch review just understanding how to talk to investors. Um, there's an investment piece. Y Combinator is very similar there. Then you've got a whole arm of nonprofit accelerators, which are um, meant to kind of support the, the entrepreneurial community and, and to try to help folks who maybe have a full-time job still, but are looking to make a transition into startup life. So there's a bunch of accelerators there. There's accelerators that focus on kind of social good, social change. Um, there's company builders, Actually, I'm part of a company builder that's in the ESG space um, called Black Lab uh, Venture Studio. And so there's there's so many different areas of focus, but the the main point is to help within that theme of the accelerator, you and your startup build community, build some scale, build some continuity into how you're thinking about whatever that operating thesis is. It's certainly not a one-size-fits-all. So yeah, I think a lot of people hear accelerator and they're like, oh, it's just you're going to go and you're going to get some investment and you're going to go meet a bunch of investors, not all of them work that way. And not all of them should work that way. So how does Jason's Accelerator work and, and the role of education play into that? Yeah, I actually, that's a great question. And and I think, you know, one of the one of the challenges that accelerators actually have is, and I'll get to, I'll answer the question in a second, but one of the challenges that uh, accelerators have is they they intake a bunch of companies and then the companies graduate and then that's it. Right. There's some kind of graduation event. Post funding. This is generally like, you know, an accelerator put in a little bit of money, they'll have a demo day, and then that's it. Right. So then the startups, they're off. The accelerator has their piece of equity. They'll be somewhat supportive of the startup. But basically, the startup has graduated. Yep. Right. It's like they graduate from high school and now they're going to decide to either continue to college or they're going to go their own way. They're going to figure it out on their own. What's interesting about launch um, is that they tend to, take kind of a three-phased view of their ecosystem. There's pre-accelerator, there's accelerator, and there's post-accelerator. In the pre-accelerator, what they do is if you if you listen to Jason's podcast, for example, he talks a lot with startup founders about things that they're going through, things that are important to startups, right? Helpful tidbits, tips, tricks, strategies, frameworks, at, you know, founder to founder. They also have a program called um, called Founder University, and Founder University is 100% free. There's no equity investment or anything. There's no investment, and they do this, I believe, six times a year. And this is all about helping uh, operators and founders understand some of the different aspects of running a startup. So, like, I do a lot of talks with that around growth and marketing, but they'll have how to raise capital, how do you build a cap table, how do you pitch. Think of it as like the minor leagues for the accelerator. That becomes intake for the accelerator, which is includes an investment, and then just kind of week over week, like relentless pitching and feedback. By the end of the launch accelerator, you are extraordinarily good at telling your vision and showing your metrics and showing your product and presenting. And that's not only helpful just for raising money, but it's also helpful for recruiting, finding teammates, talking to potential partners, getting clients. And then there's the post-accelerator support, um, which is all about... 
um, helping the startups that are that are kind of out there in the world uh, get access to additional capital or to the resources that they need that they need. And so, Growth University actually um, is one of the value adds of the accelerator, where all of the accelerator companies who are current members get access to all of our um, Growth U uh, programs, and in fact, our participants right alongside the rest of the the cohort of of the community that we've built for whether it's a live cohort or even what we're doing on demand, those launch accelerator companies get access to our programs. Um, and then we've got kind of a relationship long-term with those startups as well. So it's kind of like a um, uh, really benefit-driven in terms of that whole ecosystem that they've built. I love that. You mentioned the terms on-demand and uh, live. So you have the uh... You have something called Live Mentor. Tell me how you think about the as a organizing all this and all the patterns you see of problems people have and what they need help with. What's, yeah. What do you do live, and then how do you think about your on-demand training? Yeah. So we had started as only doing the um, we had a six-week live cohort program, so everybody would have to show up at a certain time. We had um, some supplemental content that was already built, so PDFs, um, Excel sheets. Uh, data dashboards, things like that that would live that live in the LMS that are available on demand. But really, the the meat of the program, if you will, was um, every week for six weeks you show up at a certain time and day, and I walk through kind of the high level takeaways of the theme of that week. And so, um, the so that's the live cohort. the The value and benefit of the live cohort is that there's a forcing function um, around just showing up uh, every week. It's really good for building community. So there's if you know if you're going to run live cohort programs, you have to put a lot of energy into it. If yeah. you're just showing up once a week and people show up once a week and that's it, you might as well just record it on demand and make it easier for your audience to consume your content, right? And I'll get to why we ended up doing that and why we're a hybrid now. But the value in in the live cohort is that peer-to-peer community aspect. Um, there's accountability. There's regular check-ins. I run office hours during our live cohorts. We have guest speakers in almost every week. I mean, um, not huge names in the industry. I like to find kind of like what I call like normal startup operators who are running startups that are maybe between a hundred thousand and ten million in revenue, or maybe fifteen or twenty million in revenue, and get them to come in because they are they are in the seats that most of our companies are going to be in in one to three years, right? So. A lot of other live cohorts are going to get famous speakers from all these big, you know, big companies. My view is like that's not super relevant to somebody. Hearing somebody come in from Airbnb might be inspirational, but it's not going to be probably super uh, effective at at teaching skills that are going to be useful for the startups that we have at the stage that they're at right now. So we do a lot of that community building, um, and. But what we found is that often that's tough for people as well. So like we would lose a certain percentage of founders and startup folks who just can't commit to a specific day and time. Maybe they're homeschooling. Maybe they've, maybe they they're still working a job. Maybe they're in a different time zone. I mean, we've tried to account for this, but you can't account for every edge case. And so we did a lot of customer discovery in in surveying and talking to our members and saying like. Do you like the live cohort or do you like the on-demand? And it turns out they they like and want both. So we we moved to a model where we run the live cohorts. Uh, we're doing it three times a year right now. We've got a batch of programs starting in the fall. We'll run another in Q1 uh, in uh, 2022 and then another in late spring. And 
but then we also record everything and then we have additional uh, programs that are on demand. We can't run a amazing live cohort for eight, the eight programs that we have right now. A, we don't have the audience, but B, it just, it, it would kind of dilute the efficiency or the effectiveness of kind of our flagship programs that we put in. And some of the material on demand is actually better for on demand. So for example, a deep dive in Google advertising, that's stuff that you're going to want to start and stop and rewind and move through. There's less of a necessity for community building there than something like more holistic growth with my master in growth program where we're uh, where there's inherent value in getting that peer feedback. And then we do things like the live mentor, which is brand new, which is, you know, again, out of necessity from our members, they told us, look, we love the live cohort. We love the on-demand, but we want more touch points and we want more community. So we said, okay, well, we're going to start this weekly session where any of our members can just drop in. And the first week, uh, we ran, we're in week five now, the first week, so just over a month ago, we had a bunch of people show up. And, and I had thought coming in that I was going to be doing most of the talking. Like they're going to have a lot of questions. I'm going to try to answer them. Or my co-founder, Jen, is going to. Well, it turns out I ended up kind of just shutting up and letting them communicate and collaborate. And, and what we found was this kind of magical balance of like mentor, mentee, totally intermixed, um, peer-to-peer engagement, and a lot of lessons that were learned because of that peer-to-peer engagement that we wouldn't have been able to provide if it was just kind of one directional with us answering a bunch of questions. So those have been real. I mean, those have been some of the most fun sessions actually I've ever had. Um, so that's been really cool. I love that, that story there. It's like the, the audience is literally telling you they're, you're, you're having an ongoing conversation and then you create these, you know, on-demand things, these cohort things, these office hour mentor things based on just removing friction that, that comes up. What you, you mentioned the six week cohort, I, I think I got that right. And then each yep. week has a theme. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah. what are the um what are those six themes or some of them? And how did you end up using that theme framework to, you know, kind of create that package of training? Yeah, that's a great question. And so the six week became five weeks actually, because I what I found was that my weeks one and two originally was financial modeling and then growth modeling and then starting to think about customer acquisition. And what I realized is that I could merge, I could actually deliver less content, but higher value. People have to spend less time by merging the first two sections. So there's there's now, um, there's five modules, uh, which I run over a five-week program now, and that's what we'll do in the fall. So the way that I had originally visioned these modules was you can't, it's really hard to grow what you're not really measuring, right? Now, if you don't have goals and you're not tracking to some kind of metrics, then you're kind of like, you know, it's like you're, you're like, you're like driving blindfolded, right? You're you're probably going to crash into something. You may be on a straight road and you're okay for a little while, but like once there's a bend in the road, you're, you're in trouble. And so I always knew that like there was going to be this foundational element of this program that was going to be, I mean, literally in a spreadsheet, building month over month views of revenue projections and growth rate projections around metrics that are important to your business. And and what are those metrics? There's usually a revenue metric. 
there's usually a user metric and there's usually a, a cost metric. So a price metric, and there's probably either a retention metric or a frequency of purchase metric. So if you kind of wrap your arms around all of that, we think about building that, that framework first, where you can clearly articulate what, where have you been and where do you think you're going? And where you're going also might depend on your funding state and how big your team is and what your market is and what your price is, all that great stuff. So once you build that foundation, then that second week, we move into customer acquisition because now you're ready. Like you've got the framework down, you've got your tracking in place. You've done a lot of that legwork. Now we focus deeply on customer acquisition. And, and I think a lot about intentionality of customer acquisition, and that helps determine what channels you're going to be in. And then from there, it's like, okay, well, once you're starting to acquire customers, how do you activate them? How do you move them through the buyer journey? How do you leverage constraints and triggers and sequences and product-led growth and all of that great stuff to kind of move them to purchase? And then assuming that there's some success there, there's a whole module on retention. And I found that retention is likely the most important area of your startup. Right. I mean, you run a, you know, you run a subscription style business. I mean, you know, this, I know this most founders, even if it's a transactional business model, there's some frequency or retention play likely. And many, many founders that I talked to, even seasoned founders didn't really know how to build cohort reports or understand what CAC to LTV is and all this nomenclature. And, um, and so we focus on that. And then the last piece that fifth week now is experimentation. And so the theme there is really around uh, coming up with more frequent, rapid iterations of learning. I'm not talking necessarily about statistically significant A-B tests at volume and scale. I'm talking about like getting directional feedback, talking to a lot of customers, doing a lot of customer discovery to understand where you're going to double down, things that you're going to slow down on, things that you're going to try to scale. And that forms this whole package. What we found from there was that then there's natural um, points where we can go a lot deeper. So you think about week two, customer acquisition. Well, now we've built a whole series of full-length programs just on customer acquisition. We've got an activation program that we're going to go live with in the fall that's just focused on that, right? We don't have anything yet solely focused on, on retention or experimentation, but we're going to move there. So we're able to supplement that kind of that holistic foundational framework level set of learnings with much more tactical programs that help the operator or the marketing person or the product manager do their job better. I love that. So like the six-week cohort kind of gets a baseline in everybody with the most important stuff, and then you build off of that. I mean, that's exactly. one of the challenges of having a, a education business or a membership site is people at all kinds of different places, but you develop that common core. Now we have a of more of a, you know, people that are similar understanding. Yeah, that's right. And in what was interesting, so I had built all these uh, financial and growth model templates and iterated probably a hundred times. I mean, it, 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 I'll still make changes to the master framework here and there. Um, but that when, like, so when Jason and, and Jackie on the launch team saw what I had built for growth, you, in terms of standardizing the way that we uh, the way that we measure with our dashboard and the way that we can project growth metrics, kind of forward-looking model. Well, guess what? That's all the stuff that you talk about with investors when you're pitching investors. So, so the the launch accelerator companies actually use 
the growth you model, part of that curriculum for their starting points. It's not required that they have to do it, but I'd say 80% of the companies start from scratch basically with building their financial and growth models on top of the, the curriculum that we developed. And there's some standardization happening now. And what I love about these types of framework level programs is that there is some standardization that's starting to happen now. There, there is a way that that we're finding if you think about how to acquire customers, for example, you're going to have more success, or at least you'll save yourself some time and headaches by thinking about specifically like that intentionality, instead of just kind of blindly just being in every channel and trying every different thing, which which we would urge you to do a lot of, you, you approach it from that intentionality level first. And we've done that with a lot of these modules where, where there's a lot more that we can extend into and flex into downstream. That's awesome. Tell us a little more about how it works or just general advice around kind of the B2B side of being an education entrepreneur. So if you have all this training, yeah, you're you're working with people individually, but you're also working with companies that have their their people. Yep. How do you how do you set up those deals or those relationships so that you can deliver training at scale through other through your network or where there's that yeah. biosis there? Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, for for mature companies and for accelerators, for example, they often want some kind of custom program. So they see like our offerings and they're like, this is great. Can you kind of package together different components and, and deliver it to us? And sometimes we'll do that. So, you know, I would say 10% of our our focus right now is making sure that we capture a wide enough audience with the accelerator and the call it like fully emerged companies, you know, company, public companies, bigger companies uh, who have dozens or hundreds of marketers within their organization that could be viable for us. There is a little bit of the, that handholding around, let's make sure that in as fast of a time as possible, we can deliver the most amount of value. And so there's a little bit of that. We generally, though, have stuck pretty closely to just a really simple monthly or annual uh, model. And we'll do bulk volume seats and things like that if you're going to come in and buy. So like accelerators, sometimes will buy a, a batch of seats for their startups. But really, we're at the unit economic level, we're selling either an annual plan or a monthly plan. And, and we approach every deal from that seat specific view. And again, there might be discounts or whatever if, if you're buying a bunch of seats. In terms of the volume of the training, we've really tried to build a calendar. And actually, our, our latest hire, um, we brought somebody on to own our basically our curriculum development and our training calendar and our called our development. So working with the startups really closely to understand what they need moving forward. And, and what she's doing is building out like a 12-month roadmap so that we can in advance communicate with all of these companies and founders who are interested in even accelerators and larger companies, whomever it might be, partners, so that they understand what's coming down our roadmap and when we're running live cohorts and when the on-demand content is available. And so in some ways, we've got the best of both worlds because we can leverage the live cohorts to drive a lot of demand and use the you know scarcity. I mean, there's real scarcity. We're not going to take a thousand companies at once. There's an upper limit of what we feel like is is right in terms of handling um, handling those live cohorts. So we can drive to a date, but the rest of the time, it's 
it's just available. So, so we don't bump up into this scheduling conflict and you know it, all this craziness because not everything is live. And that's the benefit of having the option of on demand. So we've kind of moved into this strange hybrid role um, that not a lot of other companies in our in our space are really doing this yet. It's either all live or it's all on demand. And we've just been agnostic in terms of how we approach that. We're like, we don't really know where this is going to go. So we're just going to kind of experiment. And that experimentation led us to this hybrid model. So we try to meet those companies where they are, and we try to proactively communicate what's upcoming. And we're not going to push them to sign up for stuff that's not relevant, but they just know that we've always got new stuff coming out. And, and at some point it's going to be viable. I love that. I love that uh, the open-mindedness there. And this is something you see in the in software community is um, especially where there's a lot of success. There's some open-mindedness, some ability to be wrong, but also to not yeah. be dogmatic. So you're like, okay, right. we're not just doing cohorts or an on-demand library. Let's do both. Yeah. We're not just doing individuals or companies. We're going to do right. both. <laughs> like yeah, that's right. It, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, we've got... Um, we have all these different pillars that we look at in terms of trying to drive growth for this and the needs of the different folks that fit within the pillars are, are often uh, different in terms of some of the content that they need, but you know, it all comes down to like, are we providing additional value to whomever the human is that's consuming our content? And, um, and are we saving them time or are we saving them money? Right. That's generally what it comes down to. And if you think about if that's your mental model coming into a conversation, the same logic applies to an accelerator or a scale stage startup to a bootstrap founder, right? Now the bootstrap founder might need to to save money and they might also need to save time. The company that just raised $5 million probably is less concerned about saving money. They want to make more money and they want to save time because they are now just trying to scale this thing and they're hiring like crazy. And so the way we've built our programs is kind of bottom up from that perspective is like, we will meet the user wherever they are in their journey. We'll provide a lot of different options for them. Again, we'll provide some of that one-on-one if they need it. And, uh, and, and we're totally flexible in our thinking around where this thing's going to go. And, and we're upfront about that too. So like, we'll say, you know, we don't, well, we will know our 12 month calendar soon, but up until now, we don't necessarily know when the next live cohort is going to be, which causes a little bit of anxiety. But now that we will, we can clearly communicate that. And then we can backfill the time in between with the on-demand stuff. And I agree with you. I think that there's uh, that flexibility and thinking, you know, I hired a team of entrepreneurs as my early team. Um, you know, we're at five people now. We're, we've, got, um, a, we've got an opening right now. We're in final round interviews for a sixth person. So we're a tiny startup still. But everybody on the team at this point is pretty entrepreneurial and flexible. And we're just, we're looking at data. We're talking to a lot of customers, I mean, kind of relentlessly. And we're trying to objectively make decisions um, based on, on kind of what's happening in real time. This is awesome. This is going to be really hard for me not to Joe Rogan or Lex Friedman and go for like three hours with you because we're talking about software, we're talking about growth, <laughs> we're talking about education and entrepreneurship. Um, Let's let's shift gears. One of the things I see in successful companies like yours is that I call it the five hats problems. You have to wear a lot of hats. Uh, you have to be a community builder. You have to have expertise. You have to be a technologist. You have to be an entrepreneur. Uh, you have to be an instructional designer. The ones that make it work, 
there are unicorns out there that can wear all those hats. Others do the best they can and then build a team as soon as they can and, and really address that. I wanted, I wanted to shift to the technology hat for a second here. What, um, tell us the story of WordPress, why WordPress, and then why did you end up going with Lift Your LMS for your platform? Um, some companies are, you know, it's not uncommon in the in the software space for people to use WordPress for their marketing site or um, or not, or they don't want to use it or they don't like it or whatever. Right. So how did you end up with WordPress and then specifically Lifter? Yeah, that's a great question. So I had, again, approached platform kind of from a flexible thinking standpoint a couple of years ago. I had, um, so I'm not going to mention names. But I had used a very popular LMS uh, that was was pretty good in terms of Aster and WordPress. Uh, this was not in WordPress. This was a proprietary. Um, this was a proprietary platform, and there's a lot of them out there. I mean, I know you you, you track them. So well well funded. You know, the, the, these next couple examples um, are both well funded, high growth. LMS platforms. Um, I just don't want to throw anybody under the bus. But um, the first one was fine from an LMS standpoint. It had all the bells and whistles from an LMS standpoint, but didn't handle any of the the communication side of the business that I needed around email marketing, drips, triggers, sequences, um, member management, uh, integration for forward-looking community. None of that. And so I knew pretty early on that that probably wasn't going to be an amazing fit. So then um, we ended up moving to a non-LMS. Um, and actually, I'll, I'll share the name of this one. We ended up using Notion for the second iteration in the platform. And and we use Notion actually internally for a lot of our, uh, you know, kind of a lot of our um, uh, data capture, content capture. We structure a lot of stuff in Notion. But but the the challenge with Notion was that it was so unstructured with with e-learning that there was no we couldn't we couldn't build accountability uh, for our learners through the Notion platform. And so then we moved to another much bigger LMS that does everything. So they do all of the email marketing, all of the payments, all of the course curriculum design, all that. So they they do everything, but they didn't do any of it well. And so we had email deliverability issues. We had, it's just every, the website was hard to build. It was proprietary. It wasn't open source. We couldn't hack anything on our own. It was these archaic templates that we had to use. That company raised a boatload of money. I just couldn't, I couldn't stomach it anymore in terms of not having uh, the option of at least building a module if I needed a module or having direct integrations with third parties uh, that we needed. And that was a closed system. So I, I've been working actually with WordPress since, frankly, since WordPress and Drupal uh, put one of my startups out of business, right? I mean, in 2004, 2005, I was running a startup and we built this enterprise CMS and it was incredible. It was like, you could right click into it using server-side JavaScript on the back end. Like it was amazing, but it was thousands of dollars in open source, just ate our lunch. Yeah. Right. Open source just ate our lunch. And so um, so at that point, I started using WordPress extensively and had done a lot of consulting projects on WordPress and, and other open source platforms. So I kind of had this feeling that like there's probably there's probably 
other, and by the way, I tried other live cohort focused LMSs. Nothing really was providing enough value against the frustration that I was feeling with whatever constraints the platform had. Um, you know, I, I've kicked the tires with almost all of them. So I just said like, you know what, I'm just going open source. So let's go to WordPress. My co-founder, Jen and I both could do WordPress. I have engineering friends and old co-founders who could help if we get in a pinch, right? And then we started testing LMSs and we burned through a number of LMSs on WordPress that just didn't really have all the, the functionality that we wanted. And then we kind of stumbled on Lifter. And I mean, there was definitely a little bit of a learning curve when we came on, but pretty fast out of the gates, like we, we replicated the curriculum, we built the programs and it just worked. And it integrates with Stripe and it has all the features that we want and it's open enough and your support team has been fantastic. And so the, the Lifter platform on top of the open source WordPress platform gives us a lot of flexibility, right? We can edit templates. We can um, build additional modules if we need to. We can do direct integrations with whatever, whatever third parties we need. And we can we can let the other third-party platforms do the heavy lifting. So we use ConvertKit for all of our email stuff, right? Um, we use Lifter on top of WordPress. We use Notion for a lot of our other stuff and then other open source products and Google Docs for some of the curriculum development. And it's just simple and it works. And I think what's been interesting about Lifter is that you're not trying to build every single bell and whistle that some of your proxy competitors might be doing, but you do the the learning management side really well. And I think that was where we saw a lot of the value. Wow, that's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. I'll have to, I'm going to share that clip with my team at my team meeting today because that kind of stuff really makes them excited. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know we've asked you guys a bunch of questions. So I know my team has been, yeah. you know, I, I'm like, just, just reach out. They'll push back if we're asking too many questions, but the support's been really great. The price is very reasonable. Um, the add-on modules that you have are great. I mean, we feel like uh, if something goes wrong or if we really need something that you're kind of in our corner um, and you're accessible. And you know that accessibility uh, is one of the core traits of companies that we love to work with. The fact that you and I are both founders and we're having this conversation, the fact that we can reach out and we might hear from you, the fact that our members will see me on on all the weekly live mentor sessions, I'll hold office hours, right? That accessibility, I think is a is a core operating principle that uh, that a lot of high growth startups actually share, right? It's that accessibility making your community feel like that that they're loved and and that you're there. I appreciate that. And I can definitely feel the feel the resonance with that. And in our world, and if you're watching this and you're a software entrepreneur, um, at Lifter LMS, we see that accessibility, the support, basically the human element. We see that more as a feature than a, than a cost center. And that is just a mindset we've had since the beginning of the company and it's made all the difference for us. So if you're watching this as a software entrepreneur, yes, you have to invest in it, but uh, putting the human inside with all the tech and the automation and everything else is still a very important piece of business. I would... 100% agree. And that's how, um, you know, I had been early at an agency and we scaled the agency. We grew up really, really big. And that was our operating thesis there. I'll give a plug to my last company, Sandbox. 
sandbox with two X's dot us. Uh, the, the founder, Sam Meek and the co-founder Shane McCarthy and Swami, like the three of them built a tech platform that really doesn't need customer service, customer support, what we call customer happiness. Um, but they built that team and they've been called, uh, the Google of the military space and, and the way that we approached growth there was to your point, this is a, um, this is a profit center, right? There's so much value when a user can reach out to you and know that a human is going to reply and that it's not an inconvenience. In fact, the person on the other end is hired to help you. Uh, a lot of startups look at that as a cost center and they just, they don't want to have that human, want, you know, that human connection because they it costs money. But really what I've seen over and over and over and over again is that if you treat it as a profit center, it likely will be a profit center. That's awesome. Um, there's another uh, user of Lutcher LMS out there that some uh, folks may recognize the name of. His name is Jay Abraham. He teaches a lot of business and marketing stuff. And, and Jay said a while ago, I heard him make this comment once about um, how, how you, one of his tricks or keys to success or whatever was to take something you've learned from a completely different industry and then apply it to yours. I find I, I learned so much in a software entrepreneurship niche that's relevant to education entrepreneurs. You mentioned, um, kind of want to wrap us out on, on this area of what's called product-led growth, which has really emerged in the software space um, it's kind of like a, re, uh, a V2 of what we know of as freemium, like in mm -hmm. software world, you know, like Dropbox is free, but then you hit a certain storage limit and you pay. So this right. is the freemium right. model in software. If you were advising an education entrepreneur, not a software entrepreneur, how can they use product-led growth or think about free in today's online business world? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I'm a huge fan of product-led growth. I have Romley's <laughs> book right here, so I'll plug that. Uh, you know, I'm friendly with Romley and Wes, and I speak at the product-led conferences and some of their cohorts, and vice versa. Um, I do think that there has been. So I'm going to preface this by saying that, um, like, if you look at my Twitter, uh, I will often, um, you know. Uh, take issue with folks that are just a hundred percent product led is the only way and you don't need marketing and you don't need anything else. I, I firmly do not agree with that. So I think product led growth has to fit within a framework within your startup that is an accelerant and helps to be a catalyst, but it doesn't work in a vacuum. You still need to do marketing. You still need to have good engineering. You still need to have good customer support and all that great stuff. So that out of the way, um, I can tell you how we're leveraging product-led growth. Yeah. We have a, a and, and again, I think the nomenclature is interesting because product-led is something that those of us that have been in the industry for a long time have been doing pretty much from the start, right? Does it fall within activation? Does activation fall within product-led? The, the concept is that you're trying to get the product to do some of the work for you that forms a loop so that the output of a user using the product is ideally more users using the product or more revenue from that user who's using the product, right? So you, you form these loops. And if you're strategic about that, uh, 
it it can be a total game changer for you, right? Because what you're able to do is iterate more quickly through that feedback cycle and and go a lot wider than than what you might have been doing um, if you, for example, had to have everybody come through a sign up for a demo form and have a human actually give a demo every time. That's that's a great model for some businesses, but it's not not a great model for every business. The way that we've approached product led growth is by putting a ton of free stuff out there that gives a lot of value for free. It creates some buzz. It allows us to uh, drive lead generation really cheaply and, and efficiently. And that includes, we've got a free Growth 101 course. So Growth 101 is basically a subset of Mastering Growth. But, and, and there's a lot of value in Growth 101 just in and of itself. I What I didn't want to do was just create a course and then build a bunch of constraints to try to upsell into our bigger program. So like cut off all the good stuff. We give you a lot of the good stuff. Just to clarify real quick, uh, growth 101 and then mastering growth is mastering growth. The six week cohort or is that mastering growth is the, is the six week cohort. Yeah. That's kind of like, um, that's like our original kind of flagship program. But I took, I took a subset of mastering growth, made it a lot more bite-sized didn't include a bunch of stuff, but but tried to add the really valuable stuff to Growth 101 so that if you take Growth 101, you're still going to get a playbook. You're still going to get a lot of the assets that you're going to get in Mastering Growth, but you're going to get it for free. That is product-led for us. It's free. There's um, The product is selling itself. There are natural some natural constraints that, that lead the user to want to consume more content that's paid. Uh, there are natural triggers and calls to action that drive to other endpoints that are not free. And so we're, but but the the concept is that there has to be enough value in the 101 program for it to be good, pretty good standalone. It doesn't necessarily have to be like as robust as our paid side because we're also, we need to monetize, we're a company, but it has to stand alone and have enough value. And I think that's that's an important component of product-led growth is that what the, some of these fast-growing product-led companies like Miro or Loom or some of these, you know, some of these kind of mid-market SaaS companies, they really figure out how to leverage constraints after they've hooked and engaged a user. And they're leveraging constraints that will block the user from doing certain things, but they do it in a graceful manner and in a smart manner, so that when you bump up against that constraint, it's okay. You're going to get your credit card out now. And so that's a very thoughtful process. So the risk with all the buzz around product-led growth is people just think like, okay, I'm just going to build freemium. And then, you know, they're going to bump up against this hard stop and they're going to stop getting value. That's not how you do it, right? You have to understand how to provide value for that thing that you put out there. So it stands alone and there's value in that in and of itself. And so that's kind of one of the takeaways that uh, both through reading the product-led books and speaking to the community and just kind of being in, in the seat uh, that I'm seeing. And that's how we're using it at, um, at GrowthU. That's awesome. So you've got a, a free mini course called uh, Growth 101, right? Yep. And then uh, I also noticed you had a, a, a dollar trial, start one week trial for a dollar. Real quickly, I love that idea of just like, hey, I think I think that's a great way to like reduce risk and, and, and have a serious yeah. person take a drive-by. Like, tell us just the structure of that. Well, we had started out with a free trial. And what we realized with a free trial was that 
uh, people weren't really coming in and consuming the content and then they were churning or they weren't they, in the ones that actually did convert from the free trial often were churning by putting that $1 barrier in, we get the credit card and there's something psychologically that happens with the user when they get the credit card out and they know they're going to be billed in a week. It actually pushes them to get in and consume content. And it forces us to make sure that our onboarding is getting better and better and better over time. Our ver version one of onboarding was horrible. I mean, it, it just was totally broken. And I'd give us like a, maybe a C, C plus right now, maybe B minus right now. We need to get to an A, but the trial is forcing us to up our game there. And psychologically, the user had put their credit card in. They want to get value. They want to experience value. We found that our retention is a lot stronger. We don't convert everybody that comes in on the trial. But it, but it kind of democratizes it a little bit. It, it lets it, um, you know, if you if you want to come in for a week and kick the tires with our on-demand Facebook course and you consume the whole thing, you get a bunch of value, and then you decide to not, not let it renew, totally fine, right? We are willing to take that risk because we think there's so much value in the comprehensiveness of our offering that the vast majority of people that come into the trial, the vast majority of people that come into the trial convert. That's awesome. Well, that's Craig Zingerlein from growthuniversity.io. This has been a ball. I, I, I want to do another with, with you down the road because there's- I would love to. I, I wanted to get into uh, all things entrepreneurship, tech, being a, a cusp. This is a great example. Thank you for being a shining example of an education entrepreneur. Uh, you're, you're really demonstrating this, um, you know, a deep connection to your customer, to the subject matter, the material, and uh, a, um, a method of just continuous improvement and removing friction as you go with your online education business is, is really awesome. Um, Thank you. Craig, thanks for- I feel the same about what you're doing, actually. I mean, with your, I mean, you're all over your website with your videos and your training and your courses to get people online and engaged with Lifter. So um, yeah, I, I share the sentiment. Well, I appreciate that. For anybody who wants to connect with you, what are the best ways? You've got social yep. media, you've got free course on your website. What should people do? I would go kick the tires with um, the free Growth 101 program at Growth University IO. Uh, I'm also just Craig at GrowthUniversity.io. If you've got growth questions, I do 15-minute office hours all the time, free. Uh, I just love to help founders. And you can find me on Twitter at Craig Zingerline, and uh, you can see some of the fun stuff that I post about Everything from product-led growth to activation, entrepreneurship, um, founder struggles, and, and all that great stuff. And that's a wrap for this episode of LMS Cast. Did you enjoy that episode? Tell your friends and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And I've got a gift for you over at lifterlms.com forward slash gift. Go to lifterlms.com forward slash gift. Keep learning, keep taking action, and I'll see you in the next episode.